Friends, our scripture lesson this morning is from the gospel according to Mark. It's in the second chapter, the first 22 verses. There are three brief stories within the story. First one is the story of Jesus healing a paralytic. Here now God's word for us this day. When he, re- when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around them, there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Child, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins? but God alone. At once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves and he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up, take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them. So that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Second story within the story of Jesus calling Levi. Jesus went out again beside the sea, the whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi's son of Alphaeus sitting at the tax collection station, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to heal, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And the third story within the story the question about fasting. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. The people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, the wedding attendants cannot fast while the bridegroom is with them, can they? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak. Otherwise, the patch 
pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. Similarly, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and so are the skins. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. This is the word of the Lord. And let us pray. How grateful we are, loving God, for these moments of peace and stillness, a feeling of safety and belonging and connection in your presence, filled by your spirit. We pray, Lord, that in these moments you'll continue to speak to us. You'll continue to reveal your word and your love to us that each one of us will hear the message that you would most have us receive. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. What can we do in the year ahead to remove obstacles between other people and God? In the ministry of our church, in our friendships, in our interactions with our neighbors, the stranger, those closest to us? Are there things under our control and within our power whereby we can remove obstacles between other people and God? One day Jesus was in a house in Capernaum and on that day he wanted some rest, just a brief pause from the demands of his ministry. But people knew he was there and they came. An enormous crowd gathered, so many that they filled the house. The overflow crowd stood by the doorway, even in the yard, just trying to catch a glimpse of him and to hear a word or two of what he was teaching. So picture that, and then picture the arrival of this group of five friends. We learn none of their names. We learn that one of them is a man who is paralyzed. From this point on, he's referred to not by a name, but by his condition. He's called the paralytic. It's what defines him. I think of the various conditions that I have faced in my life and how much I would not want to be named by someone by that condition. We learn that the other four are carrying him on a mat, four friends carrying him on some kind of a homemade stretcher. It helps to remember that at this point in his ministry, Jesus has already cast out many unclean spirits and brought healing to many sick people, to those who were wounded, whether in body or in spirit or in mind, Jesus brings healing. And these four who are carrying their friend on a stretcher, no doubt want their friend to also receive this healing gift. First, they try to make their way through the front door, but the crowd's too tight. They don't even budge, but they don't give up. It's one of the most important details in the story. Carrying their paralyzed friend, they somehow make it to the roof of the house. Luke 
says that they moved tiles that the roof was made of. The Mark account simply says that they dig through it. Either way, what they are doing requires time and effort and work and persistence. And these four lower their paralyzed friend down through the hole. Their creativity and assertiveness puts him right at the feet of Jesus. And we read that Jesus sees their faith, not just his, but their, plural, their faith, and says to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go home. And the paralyzed man stands up, and he picks up his mat. He came through the roof, but he's leaving by the front door, and the people are amazed. What can we do in the year ahead to remove obstacles between other people and God? In the ministry of our church, in our friendships, in our interactions with our our neighbors, the stranger, those closest to us? Are there things under our control and within our power whereby we can remove obstacles between other people and God. I wonder what are things we sometimes do as a church that add to the obstacles that are present between people and the God that they hunger for. Use of churchy or off-putting lingo Assuming that newcomers all come with a prior knowledge of the Bible or theology or liturgical practice. Focusing on what we are against instead of what we're for. Being hypocritical or judgmental. Saying we worship a God of perfect love, but then failing to love one another and love our neighbor in the way that God calls us to. As a church, our role is to remove obstacles that get in the way of people drawing closer to God. It's part of the calling of our faith. Yet sometimes what we do instead is add obstacles. I see those four friends going to great lengths to bring their beloved friend to God. And this was during a time when people often believed that physical or spiritual illness was a divine punishment from God for some human sin or inadequacy. And they pushed back against that mistaken cultural belief. They made clear their love for him, their commitment, their faith. And I think... Those are the kind of friends I want. That's the kind of friend I want to be. Some years ago, a British newspaper invited readers to submit their best definition of what it meant to be a friend. Thousands of suggestions flooded in. Some of the best included, one who multiplies our joys, divides our griefs, and who's always honest. 
one who understands our silence. One person wrote, friends are like good health. You don't realize what a gift they are until you lose them. Another, prosperity begets friends, adversity proves them. Another said, friends do their knocking before they enter instead of after they leave. C.S. Lewis was someone who deeply understood and appreciated friendship. He knew how vital it was, but also how it gets forged. He once wrote, friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which gives value to survival. Lewis's most famous insight on the subject is when he said, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. I wonder if you've ever said that to someone or felt it at some moment of discovery or connection, closeness, a moment where no guard or mask was needed. The story is told of two friends, Jim and Philip. Though Jim was a little older than Philip and often assumed the role of leader, they did everything together. They went through high school together, went off to the same college, and after college, they decided to join the Marines. By a unique series of circumstances, they were sent to Germany together, where they fought side by side in one of history's ugliest wars. And one sweltering day during a fierce battle amid heavy gunfire, bombing, and close quarters combat, they were given the command to retreat. As the men were running back, Jim noticed that Philip had not returned with the others. Panic gripped his heart. Jim knew that if Philip was not back in another minute or two, that he would not ever make it back. He begged his commanding officer to let him go after his friend, but the officer forbid the request, saying it would be suicide. Risking his own life, disobeying that order, he went after Philip. His heart pounding, he ran into the gunfire, calling out for his friend. A short few moments later, his platoon saw him hobbling back across the field, carrying a limp body in his arm. His commanding officer, he blasted him, he scolded him, shouting that it was a foolish waste of time, an outrageous risk. Your friend is dead, he added. There is nothing you could do. To which he responded, sir, you're wrong. I got there just in the nick of time. Before he died, his last words to me were, I knew you'd come. Proverbs says, you're not going to be a wise person. You will not lead a wise life unless you are great at choosing, forging, and keeping terrific friendships. That's a paraphrase. My days reflect all kinds of important commitments, but all too often I confess they do not reflect that one.
You will not make it in life unless you are really good at choosing, forging, and keeping terrific friendships. There's a memorable scene from that old television show, The West Wing. White House Chief of Staff Leo McGarry reaches out to his deputy, Josh Lyman, who's struggling with PTSD. And Leo tells him a, a parable of sorts. He says, this guy's walking down the street when he falls down into a hole. The walls are so steep he can't get out. A doctor passes by, the guy shouts up, hey you, can you help me out? The doctor writes a prescription, throws it down into the hole, and moves on. And then a priest comes along and the guy shouts out, Father, I'm down in the hole, can you help me out? The priest writes out a prayer, throws it in the hole and walks on. And then a friend walks by. Hey Joe, it's me. Can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole. Our guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both down here. And the friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know my way out. That's the kind of love, of course, that Almighty God has for us the kind of love God reveals in the, the birth and ministry and redemptive sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, the love revealed to us in the incarnation. And it's the kind of love God calls us to have with one another. Writer and activist James Baldwin said, the longer I live, the more deeply I learn that love, whether we call it friendship, or family, or romance. Love is the work of mirroring and magnifying each other's light. What a great description. How are you doing these days mirroring and magnifying each other's light with your spouse, your children, your neighbor, your coworker, your fellow church member, your friend. How are you doing mirroring and magnifying each other's light? What can we do, friends, in the year ahead to remove obstacles between other people and God? in the ministry of our church, in our friendships, in our interactions with neighbors, the stranger, those closest to us? Are there things under our control and within our power whereby we can remove obstacles between other people and God? May our lives be more like the lives of those four friends in this morning's gospel story, who go to great lengths. They will not give in, they will not give up in their efforts to get their paralyzed friend through that roof and lowered to the floor right at the very feet of Jesus, that he might encounter his love, that he might be blessed 
and healed and made new. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.